0: Hello, hello. Today's horror story is written by Overmind87. It was December and the snow was already on the ground. The winter looked particularly bleak this year. Many cold and gloomy days. Still, there were soldiers guarding the streets to keep the infected at bay. The bus I was in just crossed the last checkpoint before the hospital we were heading to. It was once again time to relieve the current researchers working there to find a cure. Being under pressure to save the human race for too long and some of us might start to crack. We can't afford that. But I wasn't heading there to work, not this time. I was going to visit my wife who had been stationed there and was a fellow researcher. Looking out the bus window, I noticed lights beginning to come on in the houses that surrounded us on both sides. It was getting dark, but fortunately we had enough sentries to keep us safe from the infected. (laughs) The infected, sounds like something out of a horror movie, but there they were, as real as I was and hiding a horrific fate in their decaying carcasses. It sounds rude to put it that way, but you get desensitized after a while. Thinking of them as people was too much to bear for anyone that worked or lived near them. The front door of one of the houses opened as we slowly drove by. The jumpy sentry who was posted there pointed his rifle as as soon as he noticed, but luckily nothing came of it. Somebody yelled something from inside the door. The sentry yelled back and waved in a friendly manner. The door was closed. That was all. We had enough security in this walled off part of the suburbs to keep any roaming infected at bay. But having a weapon doesn't protect you from your conscience. Back when the security was still being set up, I was spending more time outside the hospital, talking to people, running back and forth. I happened to walk into one of the many grisly scenarios that we were now forced to endure. Contact with the infected happened more often back then. One of the sentries had turned his back on the house to chat with someone briefly when someone spotted the infected in that yard. It was a little boy. He was so small, but the level of decay made him seem younger than he should because he was old enough to walk, old enough to run towards the sentry, wailing at the top of his lungs, just like a scared little boy would. The sentry hesitated. He tried to yell something to the boy, but his words didn't come all out. Just as the boy was about to be close enough to infect him with the virus, the soldier lifted up his rifle and fired a couple of shots. The body hit the ground. For a moment, I thought the infected was still alive, But the wailing I now heard was coming from the sentry as he collapsed to the ground, crying in despair. I think about it every day. I still wonder if it would have been better for me to not point out the boy to the sentry and let him infect us. Incidents like those are how we all became desensitized to the situation, desensitized to them. It made our job easier. As long as you focused on your work and didn't think about it too much, you could get through it. But a person can only do that for so long without breaking down or making deadly mistakes. By then, it's hard to tell whether what you did was wrong, a mistake, or what you truly wanted deep down. Once an infected person was unable to talk, it was over. Not just because we're trying to find a permanent cure or a way to slow the progression of the virus within a person, but because that's when the primal fear would kick in. The rage, the panic. That's when they became aggressive and dangerous, even though they didn't mean to be. Driven by instincts that couldn't be suppressed by rational thought anymore. But there's nothing rational about this situation. They never had a chance. The panic they caused in others near them ensured that there wouldn't be anyone left to seek help from. That's only ever if they could become calm enough to seek help in a non-threatening manner. And even if they managed that, it doesn't mean that the infected people around them would keep their composure. The virus spread like a wildfire after a drought, and the panic was the wind that fed the flames. The bus finally pulled up to the quarantine station. I was anxious to see my wife before too long, so I went through the disinfecting station as fast as I could while still adhering to proper procedure. The clinical setting always reminded me of when we first met back in college. Anatomy lab. We also shared a couple other classes like ASL and calculus. Because of that, we ended up spending a significant amount of time together. It's easy to see where things go from there. A few years after, when everything began to fall apart, we both agreed that because of our chosen career paths, we had an obligation to put our skills to good use in order to help the situation. We've been here ever since, working tirelessly to beat this thing. This monstrosity. But like I said, it gets easy to become disillusioned when working on finding a solution for a global crisis for so long. You become more and more aware that you're getting nowhere, slowly. It happened to me first. I've hidden it very well. The fact that I've lost all hope we will find a cure. i felt that way for a long time, but I keep working anyway. Not because the hope has come back, but to give others the appearance that we might still have a chance. If I've lost my hope and least I can keep others from losing theirs. Besides, I don't have anything else in my life to give me purpose, so what else would I do? My wife was hit much harder than I. Constantly seeing the bodies arrive in all levels of decay, some moving, some not, finally got to her. Her hopeful attitude and pep decayed into a quiet listlessness that she hid behind a forced expression of positivity whenever anyone would ask her how she was doing. But I knew her better than anyone, and she knew me. We were both aware of how each other felt, but agreed to keep pushing through for as long as we could. But that weariness was not something we could overcome in the end. It was making us careless. That's why she didn't notice the small tear on her hazmat suit. Until it was too late. I arrived to my wife's room accompanied by my designated hospital escort. Even the people working there, such as my wife and I, had to be under constant supervision, just in case someone loses it big time and does something extremely stupid. Thankfully, I had worked with this young man a few times before, so it was comforting to have a familiar face by my side on this last visit. I had been kept constantly informed of my wife's condition since the beginning. I was also more than familiar with how the virus ravaged the human body. I knew what to expect, but the escort, having agreed to stay by the door, was able to catch a glimpse of her from there as we walked in. He audibly gasped and quickly apologized while turning to look towards the door. In the bed was something that looked more like an unearthed mummy or lab specimen than a living human being. The legs were gone. She was covered in open wounds that would never heal. Two empty sockets where her beautiful blue eyes used to be. An unrecognizably decayed face. And she was so thin. I was furious at myself for thinking for a split second she looked like a well-made Halloween prop I had seen before this virus hit. But I didn't care what she looked like. I loved her. And this was my last opportunity to be this close to her. At this point, the infected were no longer contagious. Their biological processes were so irredeemably disrupted that the virus was unable to replicate anymore. And even if it could, they would make for poor carriers since they could barely move. I sat by her bed and looked at her for a while, her chest moving up and down ever so slightly. It felt wrong to keep her alive in this condition, but she insisted. It was her last attempt at fighting back against the virus, offering herself for monitoring and study. It was actually very hard to obtain a cooperating subject that would be observed peacefully from infection until death. This gift she was giving us was priceless, I felt the tears trying to slip out with some success, but I promised her I'd keep a straight face for the co-workers that were still here fighting, the ones that still had hope. I took her hand and gently ran the fingers that were left across my face, her way of seeing me after she had gone blind. Then I gently kissed her on her forehead. There were no lips left to kiss. No teeth, no jaw. I hoped with all my heart that this last kiss would get through to her. Suddenly, she began to very slowly turn her head to face me. It took her a minute to turn just a little bit. When she did, and with the very last of her strength, she lifted her trembling arms in my direction. She then began gesticulating towards me trying to reach me the way I had reached her. Then she stopped, her arms slowly lowering back to her sides. Then the trembling stopped. Her chest stopped rising. She was gone. I would have given anything for this pandemic to be like the movies, where the zombies lose their consciousness and intelligence first, Becoming mindless animals. Animals that can be put down. Animals that can starve to death. Animals that will continue to rot from the inside out, top to bottom. Starting with the head. We were not so lucky. Instead, we were stuck with the opposite. A prison of pain, fear, despair, and horror that doesn't let you go free until the very end. I couldn't think of a fate more cruel. I briefly spoke with the escort, informed the nurse on call, and then walked back to the infection control checkpoint at the hospital entrance, where I quickly went through the required procedures before departing. I decided to go back to the bus early. I needed to be alone. And as expected, there was no one around except for the sentry guarding it. Who nodded in my direction as I stepped in? He probably thought I was going to sleep. The bus wouldn't leave for a couple of hours, but it was very late in the evening by now. Reasonable guess. As I entered the bus, I thought of the conversation I had just had with the escort. He thought my wife was trying to attack me at the end and had his sidearm at the ready. No she wasn't trying to hurt me. Then what was that? I briefly debated whether I wanted to discuss that with him but I felt I had to tell someone. Maybe it would help lighten the burden. And knowing this young man I knew he didn't mean to be insensitive. He probably thought I needed someone to talk to as well. It was sign language. Oh and that case, and if it isn't too personal a thing to ask, what did she say? For last words, I mean. He suddenly became very aware of how prying he was being. I patted his shoulder to ease his anxiety. She said, I love you very much. Goodbye. I went to the back of the bus and sat down in a corner then I wept